Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen, the show that we do for our Action 22 members in Colorado, around the country, and now around the world. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. So this morning I was at the store and I saw the cover of the Pueblo Chieftain, that's a local newspaper, and our guest is on the front cover of that looking fierce. She is the president of Pueblo Community College. She's been there, you've been there 11 years. Um, and we had a great, and she's um, one of our newest Action 22 members, PCC is. Um, and so we had a great visit with her a week ago or so, um, and we wanted to have have you on the show today to talk about all these things. But it's exactly what I was wanting to talk to you about, and it's economic growth. But before we get too far into that, I want everybody to know that PCC, Public Community College, has really developed into a powerhouse of not just a community college, but something that universities, um, and it's really because you guys have focused on tech, don't you think? Well, I think, I think what I think we focused on is business and industry okay. and what they need. And so it's not all technical education. There, there is also the professional side of things, but really I think our claim to fame is that we pay attention to what business and industry needs, what our community needs, and then we try to respond. That's the beauty of um, community colleges and why Mm -hmm. uh, we're such a big fan of them is because you guys can pivot Mm -hmm. and whatever you need, you can adapt curriculum far quicker than a university. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit now. I know before we talked about this a little bit before um, COVID, you guys were I mean, the top of your game. So tell us about that. Oh, it's bittersweet because we (laughs) were, you know, we had really um, gone through some years of really important strategic planning. One of the pieces being moving away from developmental education. Um, We've learned that that is not a necessity for so many uh, individuals to be successful. And so we we worked hard at removing developmental ed from our curriculum and putting our students directly into college-level courses. They have performed beautifully, but that was tough on the college because we lost a lot of FTE. And oh, really? so we, you know, we struggled through that, and we were at that point where our students were retaining, they were persisting, they were graduating, uh, we were seeing increased enrollment, and then March of 2020 Ugh. hit, and boy, everything just stopped. It went and, on its ear. Yeah. But you know what? We are resilient, and we, um, we responded. We um, made sure that we had the right technology in place so that our students can continue to uh, engage in as much remote, synchronous instruction as they possibly could. But it's not the same. Right. It's not the same right. no, as not. having uh, a discussion face-to-face, being able to see body language and facial expressions. Um, but 
we, we were able to persist, and we actually ended up with a record number of graduates this year. I think it was oh, wow. over, over mm. 1,900 graduates. Wow. So, really? So we did something right. Yes. Um, but, you know, boy, our, our whole country, our community, the state, we're having a hard time rebounding. You, you yeah. know, the supply chain is broke. People are apprehensive about coming back to work or coming back to school. And so we just have to continue to promote the fact that um, we need the, an educated workforce in order for us to thrive and grow. And that's what we're committed to. And most people don't realize, but PCC's footprint is larger than just Pueblo. Oh, yes. You're all over. Yes. I like to uh, remind folks that we have a service area of 11,500 square miles two mountain passes, you know, and all the <laughs> challenges, um, because that is it. Think about it. You know, you're a two person shop and sometimes communication errors happen with two people. Right. Can you imagine the challenges that we have with 600 people and 6,000 students in this large service area? So, but, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity for us to really engage in our rural communities as well. We're down in the southwest corner of the state where it is truly rural, and we have been able to identify some pathways to success using technology. Right. And same thing for the Canyon City, Custer County area. Oh, for sure, for mm-hmm. sure. So tell us a little bit about, it's Durango is your other campus, right? Well, we have a campus in the Mancus-Cortez area. Okay. It's right between Mancus and Cortez. We have a site in Durango. We uh, have a wing of the high school, the Durango High School. We're in oh, a wing yes. there. And then we have a site in Bayfield. And so we're pretty much up and down that southern corridor from right. Utah all the way to Bogosa Springs. So, no, that's huge. The, so a few years ago, we kept hearing about workforce development, workforce development. And so um, we had, and I think this was maybe 17 or 18, we did a little um, summit, mini summit. And, the, one of the, and you spoke there. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talked about was the need for this dual enrollment, mm-hmm. um, in particular with high school and community colleges. What I was shocked to learn is that it's not it's not utilized as much as I would think it would and and I'm one of those parents that didn't really push mm-hmm. my my son to do that mm-hmm. and I've we've regretted it ever since mm-hmm. but talk a little bit about how that looks in Colorado for um, that dual enrollment and especially since you have a wing of, of the high school in Durango that's mm-hmm. tremendous mm-hmm. Well, um, each one of the communities we serve is unique. So um, I will tell you first and foremost that our campus in Canyon City and mm-hmm. the Fremont County, they are, they are rock stars as far as it comes to promoting concurrent enrollment. And they have board support. They have superintendent support. This, uh, the principal of the high school, Canyon City really is the poster child right. for promoting concurrent enrollment. In uh, the southwest corner of the state, you know, uh, Fort Lewis has a big footprint. Sure. And, you know, all of us have bachelor's, you know, master's degrees. And typically, as you said, um, high school counselors 
send students on that four four year four pathway. Year. Yeah. And so that's been a challenge for us to really develop relationships with the high school counselors so that they can uh, understand and appreciate that not all students are four-year bound and not all students will be successful in that arena and that our career and technical programs and our associate degrees are every bit as valuable. Yes. If we really do want to promote access and affordability for every student that we serve. So that's been a challenge. And then in Pueblo, you know, we have one of the largest school districts in the state. Right. And we're getting better. We're getting better at promoting concurrent enrollment um, in Pueblo. So um, the future is bright. The students and their families do not have to pay a penny for their tuition. Right. Which is a fabulous opportunity because if you think about it, um, the money that they save um, in the first two years, if they complete an associate's, then can be used to go on and hopefully go beyond a bachelor's right. to get those master's right. and higher higher um, degrees. And so I think now what the challenge is, is that with all of the financial constraints, um, the school districts are not paying for books and fees. And some of our career and technical programs have a lot mm -hmm. of expense, you know, welding right. equipment or culinary arts uh, equipment. And so um, we, we are very fortunate in Pueblo and in um, Pueblo County uh, to have the um, Pueblo County excise tax that uh, has been given to us from the county. And we are able to use a portion of that to help the students with their books and oh, their that's... fees and their supplies which has been huge, which has really helped with the concurrent uh, education growth here in Pueblo. So um, concurrent en en enrollment, I am probably the biggest advocate. You will hear me talk about it all the time, yes. about the importance. And really, it, it is a tremendous opportunity to get our first-generation students, get our first-generation families engaged in higher ed, for them to see that it's not a scary proposition, that you're not going to lose your children if they have a, a good education, <laughs> but it is absolutely a pathway to a great life and to individuals that will eventually become our leaders yeah. and will contribute to the economic vitality of the communities we serve. And that's, you know, going back to the, the manufacturing and um, economic growth, you know, in 2015-ish, and we actually had a job fair at PCC that we mm -hmm. set up with Congressman mm -hmm. Tipton's mm -hmm. office. And For it was the veterans, huge. yes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think it was way bigger than I expected. And just looking back on it, I, I think we counted 80 people that got jobs out of that and still live here in Pueblo and contribute. But uh, going back to what you said that, you know, maybe a four-year, a two-year associate's degree is just as important for some people as a four-year bachelor's degree or anything. Um, one thing that the aerospace industry, they were advocating for was community colleges because yeah. we went to a space symposium, I actually spoke at it. And one of the things, the themes of it was you didn't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work on rockets. Mm -hmm. And they had too many rocket scientists and not enough machinists right. or you know, engineers, the yeah. technicians. Mm -hmm. And that was huge. And that's where they were really hurting because everybody wanted to go be this right. you know, big rocket scientist. Mm -hmm. and, and then looking back at it, the technicians and the manufacturers and the, you know, the machinists, they make as much money as oh, the rocket yes. scientists does. Oh, yes. And, exactly. And, yes. and, it, and it's frustrating, too. Um, oh, and good. 
I remember going through all this school and looking back and a couple of my friends went to PCC and they were like making three times as much money as I was coming out. They had their house. They were 22 years old yeah. with the house yeah. and retirement and just doing great. And, that, and that's important. And I, and I'm seeing it more and more here in Pueblo. Um, you're seeing an advocacy for that more here than you, than I did when, when I was in, you know, high school, I was like, don't go to PCC. Yeah. You know, they well, said, those are don't. fighting words now. Yeah, oh, yes, they are. Yeah, I tell you. We just recently partnered with the Train Corporation and brought a um, fame chapter to Pueblo. Mm -hmm. And this is a partnership between um, train industries, the community college, the, and the communities that they serve. And this is an industrial maintenance um, apprenticeship program. So young uh, men and women who are just graduating from high school may not know what where they want to be or what path can apply to this um, partnership. And then we have been able to attract various business and industries uh, in the community that need industrial maintenance technicians. And so the students have to put on their best effort. The businesses uh, interview these students. Oh, yeah. And then they hire who they think will be a, a good fit. The students uh, have some classroom experience with us, and then they go to work for the business and industry. Well, long story short, we launched the inaugural cohort just this week, and I had the opportunity to meet. And it is a class of, of 15 young men. We don't have any women, but we're going to work on that for the next cohort. <laughs> but 15 young men, and my heart was just filled. They were very young, 17, 18, 19-year-old uh, men that we kept, all of us were so excited for them. We, I think we were happier for them than they were. <laughs> yeah. But we all kept saying, oh, this is such a great opportunity. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're something special. They are special mm -hmm. because these young men are going to go to work in our manufacturing facilities. And you're right. They are not going to just make a livable wage. They are going to make well above a yes. livable wage. Yeah. They're going to be able to buy a nice house and send their children to college and be contributing members of our community. And there is nothing shameful in that. I mean, that's that's it's our so roots, needed. isn't it? Yeah. it is. This is what we are all about. So I'm I was just so excited, but when I looked at this this group of 15 young men, I'm like, I think I could be their grandma. You know? <laughs> but it was just so exciting to younger. think because you know what? Someone gave us those chances yes. when we were that young. And I'm so thankful. And to be able to do that with this group of individuals and for the business support that we've gotten is is great. So we're looking forward to um, continuing this program and launching it in other sectors. Um, because if it works here, it could work in any one of the advanced manufacturing arenas. Right. So You know, when we went, um, Colorado Succeeds did a trip down to, um, to Tennessee a few years ago. Mm -hmm. We were on that trip, and they had a program like that where mm -hmm. it was an apprenticeship. It was right out of high school, um, and it, had, it was tremendously impactful. Um, these guys were making a lot more than anybody who had the four-year degree, and they didn't mm -hmm. have the burden of, mm -hmm. of the debt. Um, but, and I kept asking, why aren't, we aren't, why aren't we doing apprenticeships in Colorado? Mm -hmm. So it's not just as easy, it's not easy to just go, I'm going to do, we're going to do an apprenticeship right. program. Right. Well, it's not. And I think that, and we talked about this last week, I, mm -hmm. I don't think that it, business and industry don't want to do it. I think that they are so far in the hole right now. There, right. There's such a large skills gap. 
that um, keeping their production lines going with what they have is their first priority. Right. And so slowing it down a little bit and allocating some of their resources to help these apprentice, I, I think I, I don't think they can they can see mm-hmm. the the relevance of that at this point because they need to be profitable. They need, I'm sure they're backlogged in their production. Right. You know, they don't scrap is a no-no in manufacturing. So all of those things are competing with what really needs to happen is slow down, take the time to bring these individuals into your facilities and be part of the solution. And so you, you can't blame them, but it's frustrating because we have to be able to partner and collaborate if we're going to solve this problem. Yeah, they're looking at the next three months versus the next yeah. four years. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and it's a great um, return of, on investment to do this. But you're right. I think, unfortunately, right now, everybody's so far behind that mm-hmm. they just don't have the time mm-hmm. to do it. And the other problem is, you know, we get calls from business and industry all the time, and they really don't want our entry-level graduates they want the person that has three or four years experience yeah. that's really doesn't need any additional training. Well, you know what? They're not going to get to that point without yeah. taking without a chance some on some of these yeah. new grads. Isn't so. that the, the curse of your first job after college? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I, I have my degree and it's like five years of experience yeah, needed. And I know. So how do I get five years I of know. experience? I know. It's, it's, yeah. it's not a new phenomenon, that's for sure. So what happened with TRAIN that they were able to do this? What what mechanism was in place for them? To- well, um, this was um, initiated wherever their corporate office is. Oh, and okay. so I think uh, Pueblo is not the only um, mm. community or Colorado is not the only state with a skills gap. And right. so I think TRAIN put this together as, as a, an effort to fill their own personal skills gap. They saw the success and then they just started moving it. We are the only FAME chapter uh, west of the Mississippi. So, so tell me what fame is. I'm not familiar with I that. I knew term. you were going to ask that, and <laughs> I do not know what that what that acronym? acronym stands for, but I should. And the <laughs> dean is really going to be mad at me when I can't say it. But it is it is a chapter that talks about um, advanced manufacturing something or other. I don't know. Let's call it the future of advanced manufacturing mm-hmm. and, and whatever the E would know. stand for. I, Engineering. There you go. It, yeah, it, 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 yeah. But it's it's specifically for the to create that yes. entrepreneurial and and it is specifically model. for um, industrial maintenance um, technicians. So I'm sorry, Jenny. I'm sorry if you're listening. <laughs> I know I should know what fame stands for. <laughs> That's okay. There's, there's too many acronyms. Yeah. There's so there's many. So, yeah. The the worst meetings is sitting through like uh, briefing at Fort Carson or a military one because oh, it's yeah. all. It's all acronyms. Oh, and yeah. You just have to yeah. Be like, like, well, you got the, the fame on the zit to whatever. And it's well, like, most of the time yeah. you can fake it unless someone calls you out yeah. and asks you, what does that mean? Well, you know? my mom listens to every episode. She's a big fan of Brian's. And then she always says to me, you know, if there's a if there's an acronym for something, nobody knows what you're talking about. So yeah. I always yeah. have to. Yeah, well, that's it's deep good. Dive on it's that good. One. To, I know. To, yeah. So um, we've been talking a lot. Uh, the entire session just about was about this and we're talking a lot about energy in this area and how that's going to work as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you're doing to on the energy side of it. So mm-hmm. there's the engineering, the manufacturing. Now let's talk about energy. What, what do you, are you seeing from your seat? 
Well, um, you know, that certainly seems to be the buzzword of the day, right? We want to be the uh, um, uh, renewable energy capital of the world, which we do. We want to be good stewards of our environment. And so we have partnered with Excel Energy. They have been very aggressive in making sure that they um, are putting resources into the communities. And, and really, we actually, with their help and the help of NextEra mm -hmm. Energy, we installed um, a small solar farm on our campus as a learning lab for our students. Oh, that's great. And, and then we're partnering with some four-year institutions that are, are doing more of the engineering. So the technician is being coupled with the engineering to learn how to um, make sure that the energy fields are, are efficient. So our role in it, it, so people say, so do you have a degree in uh, um, renewable energy? And it's like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know? So really for us, it is providing the welders, providing the industrial maintenance, providing the machinists who build the, the solar fields. Really, after the solar fields are built, there's really very little mm -hmm. maintenance that goes right. into it. Right. So it really is in the construction of and making sure that the the uh, equipment is well maintained afterwards. That's our role of right. it. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, so. Absolutely. Which is is, is pretty good. It's pretty you, good. You know? yeah. Yeah. So. so we um, haven't gotten there yet. We're going to have um, Garrison Ortiz back on our show in the hopefully in the next couple of weeks to talk about. Uh, and we were both at this town hall. This is pretty exciting yeah. if this happens. Yeah, nuclear energy. How yeah. would you How would you um, start to work with them, or what would that kind of partnership look like to get these guys um, tuned up? Yeah. Well, and it's it's different than the solar fields, right? Because with right. nuclear energy, you have permanent technicians right. that have to right. stay there. Right. So that that would be more of a permanent renewable energy job. Right. Would, yeah, they would have to actually keep the facility up and running. Yeah, And right. so I'm excited for that. I think it's a great opportunity, very good paying jobs mm -hmm. uh, that are sustainable. Whereas yeah. building of the solar farms as we know it today, it's very transient. You, you, right. know, you build a farm and then you move on. And that's not what we want for our community. Mm -hmm. We right. want to train individuals and we want them to stay here and then, again, contribute to the economic um, vitality of our community. So... Um, it's my understanding that uh, these are permanent jobs, right. good-paying jobs that are very technical in nature. And so we're we're ready to uh, step up and partner if we get to that point. I hope that our community keeps an open mind about this. Me too. Yeah. It's been a worry. It's yeah. a little bit of a worry. I, you know, Brian and I have both been, um, we've talked about this for years about well, the nuclear side of it. And the, the first time they were having this discussion was at a bad time for nuclear energy. And yeah, I remember just a few the, years ago, yeah. the pushback mm -hmm. on it back then. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see that happen again. Yeah. Well, we need to do a, a, a good job of educating the community and letting them know, you know, this isn't, you know, a, a potential we're going to blow up Pueblo kind of yeah. thing, you, you know, but that it's a safe... <laughs> yeah. It's a safe way to really capitalize on um, fuel efficiencies. Right. Um, but it's scary also. And so I think it's going to be important that we educate the community. We take the time to listen to their concerns, respond to their concerns, have, have further discussions instead of just saying, you know, it's this way or the highway. Yeah. You, you know. 
So will you talk about some of your other programs that have just, for whatever reason, all you guys have had for a long time and there continues to be a demand for them? Well, I think that probably the program that we're seeing the most growth in right now is computer information mm -hmm. um, te technology. Um, that is, it's just growing by leaps and bounds. Um, secured software development, as you know, is a, is a big issue right now. We recently added a Bachelor's of Applied Science in Secured Software Development. Wow. And uh, this year, Pueblo Community College is going to have its first sport, and that is eSports. So oh. we're, we're not into the athletic sports, <laughs> but we are going to have eSports, which I am told is pretty lucrative uh, area to get involved in. So all those gamers out there that are, are interested in um, computer information technology, um, we have a great opportunity to teach you and to have some fun with it. So can I go enroll in classes and then was, become an eSports I was person? just going to say, <laughs> did yeah. you see how he lit I up know. when you said that? It's all happening. I, I play a lot of video games. Well, you know, I, think, I think that you can make a lot of money I know. At, uh, at these tournaments and everything. So I'm like, whoa, maybe I should go, you know, learn a few things too. Yeah. So, Ryan. Well, I need to tell this to my kids because they're obsessed yeah. with it. Yeah, and yeah. They don't know what they're going to do. Maybe this is it. Oh, I will tell you, that is really um, a very popular, and it's, I will tell you, it's the program that has grown the most over the wow. last couple of years. Really? Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, all of our healthcare programs are yes. still yeah. very, very popular, very much in demand. And, you know, when you talk about um, earning a great wage, our dental hygienists mm -hmm. will graduate and they will earn $80,000 right out of uh, With an college. associate's degree. With an associate's yes. degree. And they don't even work 40 hours a week. You know, yeah. they're at, you know, whatever the schedule of the dentist's office is. So that's a really, really good profession. Our nurses, you know, although, my goodness, boy, haven't they done a just a tremendous job over the last oh my 18 goodness, months. yes. But nurses, you know, can make anywhere sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. Um, our respiratory care program, which again, we've needed so many respiratory mm -hmm. care technicians um, over the last 18 months, make a very good wage. Our uh, radiology technology program, the, the imaging folks make great wages. So really, most of the healthcare programs are, you know, if you can get a job or get through the program, you're going to have a great job. And again, very, very important to our community, which is an aging community, we want to right. have good health care. I always tell the students at the beginning of the year, look at this face. And when you see <laughs> it, you take good care of it when she comes your way, you know. Yeah. And they're all looking at me like, what's she what talking she about, you know. But it is. We're yeah. training them to take care of us, to take care of our families. And so we, we're hard on them. The, it's, there's a lot of rigor, but they come out very, very good nurses. And most of them stick around. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They're, they're, they stay in these communities yeah. to serve these communities um, mm -hmm. that come through. So that's a huge part of it, too. You know, and, and that you bring up a good point. That's the other thing about community colleges. Um, our, our students typically are from the area. Yeah. That's why they come to a community college. They want to yeah. stay in the area, opposed to um, our four-year colleagues who do a lot of recruiting out of state. And then, yeah. you know, yeah. many of those students return to their homes. 
When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit. Um, we're going to ask uh, Patty or Dr. Javik to get out her crystal ball and talk about uh, what she sees in the future for our communities and what could actually be done to make that as prosperous as possible. Um, stick around. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State, and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back. We are sitting here with Dr. Patty Urjavik, the president of Pueblo Community College, um, who has been there just over a decade and has made tremendous strides. Um, really um, a formidable community college. Um, before we get too far into talking about um, the future, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the veteran piece and what you provide there and and how you're developing that. And especially because it's a passion, particularly of Brian's, and he's doing so much work in that arena um, right now, really picking up and, and 
where he left off and taking it a little bit further, but we had this conversation about the veteran piece. So tell us a little bit about um, what you're currently doing and how you're developing those services for veterans who are, are looking to go to school. Well, in my opinion, we're not doing enough. And I know that there is a significant veteran population uh, living in the Pueblo West area. Right. And, um, and we, need to, we need to engage with those individuals and really help them develop a career path where they do not have to start all over. Um, yes. once, they're, once they're discharged from the military, they don't have to start from the very beginning. We will be able to offer them... Um, an opportunity to take whatever skills they've learned and, uh, and, and integrate that into a career path so that uh, they don't have to take all the credits over. And so right. their, their work experience can count as credits earned. That's important because the, the biggest thing coming out of the, the war on terror and going back to school, you had a lot of these veterans that came out 2004, 2005, and they would have to start over, mm -hmm. and they didn't understand why you know, even for a community college, like, why do I have to get this certificate? Because I already did right. this in the military and have a military certificate. But at that time, the universities and schools would not recognize that as an equivalent. Right. Well, community colleges do. Yes. And we will um, award credit for prior learning or credit for prior experience. And so many of our veterans are well-versed in um, paramedics, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, law enforcement, in CIS, uh, a, a variety of occupations, in welding and mechanics and machining. So why not take that experience and, uh, and, and just get them the additional uh, academics that they need so that then they can go back into the workforce quickly? Mm -hmm and begin their life in a civilian environment. So we're not doing enough. Uh, we somehow need to find a way to reach out to our veteran population. They're a very um, confined group of people, very proud people. And um, I still haven't developed the right, the right pathway to really engage with them. But that doesn't mean we don't want to. Yeah. And, I, and I know that you're going to help me do that yes. because <laughs> it is very important. Also, um, um, Bob McLaughlin mm -hmm. right. has, uh, is working on bringing a chapter of uh, Mount, Carmel. Mount Carmel down to Pueblo. And he's very interested in partnering with Pue uh, PCC. So I, I think that if enough of us really continue to work towards the goal of really engaging more veterans that we, that's another huge source for filling the skills gap. Yes. And it's also a tremendous, tremendous opportunity to honor those men and women mm -hmm. that have served and, and that just want to come back and now contribute to their own uh, families and communities. Right. So. I keep meaning to ask you this, but why do you think that that's, that is? Where do you think that gap is? Veterans are a grumpy group of people. <laughs> And they don't want to hear anything from anybody unless it's a fellow veteran or somebody they served with. And I think that's a challenge. Um, if you look at both PCC, I remember it was um, Andrew Foster, I think yes. his name was, that yes. set up the vet yes. center there. Yes. And even CSU Pueblo and Paul and them did theirs. They That opened it up because, again, it, it's and I'm not disparaging veterans, but they are kind of like in their little group. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like everything. Right. And part of it is they're used to that, and then they get out, and they, they need that still to continue. Not all of them, but 
they're used to a regiment. They're used to being told what to do and guided along the way. And so you need somebody that can relate to that to kind of bring them in, somebody else that's a veteran or somebody that served with them and and share it. Because if it's like a commercial on TV or a billboard or some 24-year-old shows up to say, hey, we need veterans, they're going to be like, who's this guy? Go away. But if their friend and fellow veteran shows up Mm -hmm. or if you get them early on when they're transitioning out of the military, that's I think that's the key piece. If you really focus on their out-processing side, and part of that, too, they're still under that mindset of a regime, like a regiment every day. Right. So coming in, so if they're still in that mindset, you grab them and then bring them in, that's how they're going to succeed. The problem is if they've been out for five or six years, then they kind of lose their military ways, and then a lot of them go the complete opposite, and that's where it gets kind of tough. So um, there, there's no real answer, no right answer. There's no right it. answer. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It's something you're going to have to figure out. Yeah, I just need I think you just need somebody that knows how to speak veteran. Right. To talk you need to an them. interpreter and a navigator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we talk about this a lot because um it's such a huge it's it's a huge need and I keep we keep throwing everything veteran at Brian um and at yeah. some point he'll have it all figured out. Yeah. Well, you're very <laughs> lucky to have him because he he is very committed and passionate about it and and we do need those advocates. Yeah. And you know, just you know, I remember we had a few meetings that you were at when we were trying to just have conversations with the veterans. I, I couldn't talk at all. I mean, they had something to say. They weren't mm. going to listen. And and um, and thank goodness you were there because, uh, <laughs> you know, we finally came to the point where they wanted their own space. Yeah. yeah. Plain and simple, they wanted their own space. And I was worried about how that would look to all the other clubs, you know, all the other infinity groups that we have on campus, because mm-hmm. we certainly couldn't accommodate it. But, boy, they were relentless, and we found a way to give them to a space, and it was the best thing we ever yeah. did. Yeah. It really, truly was. So um, I learned a huge lesson from the veterans, yeah. and I just wish that we could do more. And they would call me every other week to buy them coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, I, I, that and coffee. Yeah, that I, will I, do. That goes a yeah, long I, way. And, I, I, and they knew, uh, I forget who was working there at the time, because I lived, like I could see where the office was out of my front yeah, window. Yeah. So it's like, hey, you got any coffee? Like would show up at my house. Like, yeah. you guys got any, got any coffee, Brian? And I was like, oh, gosh, yeah, hold on. Yeah, yeah, that, that is true. The coffee is a pretty important yeah. uh, thing. But the pride is too. Yeah. And so um, I hope that as we move forward, we really can um, bring the um, additional resources that I know Bob has uh, planned yeah. and, uh, and we can just continue to move forward. We're in, we will have Bob on the show somewhere down the road. There's a lot of um, initial work that's happening right mm-hmm. now. So when he gets a little bit more established, we'll, we're Oh, have you should him. have him. He's a great guest. And yeah. He is so uh, colorful. He He's has done so much, you, you know. Brian had a meeting with him the other day, and mm-hmm. um, I was I just went in, and I wasn't going to be a part of I just was a fly on the wall. And uh-huh. um, it was fun to watch. I've, you know, I've done a, I'm not a veteran, but I've done a lot of work. Um, along those lines and the various lives I've had. And um, no, he's he's a delight, and mm-hmm. I'm very excited to see what's yeah. going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And I'm always asking the question, what do they need? You know, mm-hmm. what does our community need? What does our community need? So it sounds like mm-hmm. they might be on top of it. So speaking of what our community needs, Crystal Ball, um, if you could drive the economy, you had whatever resources, whatever What's going to make a difference for coming out of COVID? 
um, for our communities? Well, first of all, we have to com uh, stop competing with each other. Yes. And we really, really need to start collaborating. And I've been very involved with the One Pueblo Initiative, right. which is what we really are hoping to accomplish, is that there are so many great nonprofits in our community, so many great educational, business, and industry, but sometimes we're our own worst enemy. We can only, we're the only ones that can do it well. We have to be in charge. We have to do it all. Right. When really, if we pull all of the resources, all of the talent, and we each contribute what our special piece is, we'll go a lot further. Uh, and that's my my opinion. No, I love you know. that you say that because I often say uh, the the big thing that's hard for um, people who don't work in the rural space to understand is that we're generations of competing mm -hmm. of competing for mm -hmm. limited resources. It's oh. generations and generations of doing that. We don't know how to do it any other way. Mm -hmm. But how do we flip that switch? How do we do it differently? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, is the and, is the key piece. And, you know, I think that our rural areas, they've changed dramatically, even my tenure uh, mm -hmm. at PCC. I know initially we would go down to the southwest corner and we would talk about using technology, putting technology in the classroom, teaching from Pueblo, and they didn't want to hear about it. Yeah. Because their children deserved every bit as face-to-face -face as any Denver school or Denver entity, and they wanted that for their, their children as well. Well, in a perfect world, we would all want that. Right. But there's just not enough capacity and volume in some of our small rural areas. But there would be if we partnered with individuals in La Junta and Lamar and Trinidad and Pueblo, and we all came together, all of a sudden, a program that would never make because it only had two people in each one of those communities right. can make now because now there's 10 or 15. And yeah. so this student who would never be able to pursue a criminal justice degree all of a sudden can live in Lamar and pursue that degree. Yeah. And I think that's what's wonderful. And, yes. But I also would tell you that our rural communities have changed a lot and they're willing to accept that now. And so we need high-speed bandwidth oh in goodness. all of our communities so that we really can utilize the technology and really come together. And, and, you know, again, at the end of the day for me, it's what's in the best interest of students. And right. why wouldn't a student in Lamar or Trinidad be able to pursue a degree in, you know, political science or, you know, some mass comm or whatever right. it is just because they live in Lamar and there's only one other person in the community that wants it? You know, they deserve that. Yeah. So. Well, and I think the other one, um, and it, it goes back to when we were working on the four-year degree. I didn't even know that this was a thing, and I should have, um, for the nursing degree. Mm -hmm. And you had to literally go before the legislature, and, mm -hmm. and I went up and testified. But I was so mad um, at these universities who wanted, who did not want community colleges to be able to have a four-year degree for nursing. Yeah. Um, and they were, so they were going out of state, they were waitlisting, they were doing all of these other things. Um, and ultimately, you won the argument and you won the fight mm -hmm. um, and they had the four-year, but it's not just competing with each other. I think so often we have to put up a fight with bigger 
more resources and that sort of thing, there's no way we're going to be able to put up that kind of fight if we don't collaborate right. with each and, other. And in that particular case, there's no way that every institution in Colorado who has a nursing program is still going to be able to fill the skills gap. Yeah. So we right. need to exactly. all work together. It's not a matter of if if only you had it, you're going to be able to solve all the problems of the world. That's not true. Every one of us, all of the community colleges, all of the four years together will never solve the problem. Right. And so why not work together? And why make not sure, let, make yeah, sure that yeah. every opportunity yeah. is leveraged, mm -hmm. every opportunity mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. Um, so on the workforce development, what's going to make a difference for all of these things? And it's, or is it industry to industry or... Because um, that's the big, everybody, we don't well, have the job. Yeah, I, I think one thing is it can't take two or three or four years to get a degree. We have mm -hmm. to be much more nimble, much more reactive. And um, who says it all has to be for credit? You know, right. why can't we be offering some non-credit certifications uh, coupled with some apprenticeships that will get people the skills that they need? So, um, and don't get me wrong. I am all about for credit and, and and degree completion. But I think that for that adult learner, um, just getting a job is what's important. And if you have a family and if you have other obligations, you really can't afford to spend two or three or four years right. getting a degree. So. so is it the industries that need to accept the certifications or just the or the colleges that can provide specific certifications or is it a both? Well, I think right now business and industry will take you if you're just yeah. willing to show up. Yeah. And, you know, so I don't mean that, but you know what I'm saying. No, no, I do. But um, so I think, I, th I don't think the degree, or, and I think a certification is probably more important than a degree mm -hmm. right now. Right. And that um, if we can provide some evidence of some competencies, business and industry would be willing to take you. Even though we just talked about the fact that they really want the, you know, the um, experienced person. Mm -hmm. We're to the point now where um, we're not going to be, our, our standards aren't going to be as great. And I also think that as the world looks at diversity and inclusion more, that the, the perfect candidate is not necessarily the one that has a master's degree and right. all of this experience. The perfect candidate might be that first generation student who has a, a certificate and a few years of experience. And that really, so for me, it really is higher ed, education needs to be much more nimble, much more fluent, much more responsive. And then again, closely working with business and industry and providing what they need opposed to what we think they need. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because the, the federal government actually did this about two years ago. You know, you apply for a federal job and it was like, it requires a master's degree. And two years ago, I think it was, they stopped doing that where it was, hey, if you have cert certificates mm -hmm. or experience, we'll take that in lieu of education and an actual mm -hmm. master's degree or mm -hmm. bachelor's degree. And they, because they're having a hard time uh, filling jobs that are a necessity from mm -hmm. like the VA to the prisons or mm -hmm. whatever. And, and it was interesting to see that shift, but then you go... And you still apply for like uh, a larger company and they're still requiring that master's degree mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. experience or certification. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm 
hoping that will transition to the private sector like the federal government did. I, I think it is. I, yeah. I, I, I think that at least I know that we're doing that in the community college system. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, there's a huge emphasis on diversity and inclusion and equity and, you know, really making sure that uh, a group of people that we traditionally have not looked to right. to fill the skills gap, we are looking to them. And we're supporting them in ways that we should have always been supporting them, but we haven't. And so um, giving everyone the same opportunity, regardless of who you are, where you live, or the color of your skin, is terribly, terribly important as we move forward. Well, and maybe that's one of the blessings of, of the whole pandemic was that it gave us the opportunity or it was a necessity to reimagine what it would look like to do something completely different. You know, there, there were things that I remember that we were talking about before the pandemic that, oh, we'd really like to see this happen. And then necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden that's where we're at. And mm-hmm. so, um, like you said, I think if everybody wants to be more, uh, take a more collaborative approach, and that's what we've been talking about a lot is that we have, it has to be a regional thing. Mm-hmm. It can't be, we can't, like, and like you said, you know, you can't put people in, in different boxes and expect, you know, there's only three or four here and three or four here. But if you put everybody in the box together, you're going to be so much more powerful mm-hmm. in all of your efforts. And it's mm-hmm. something, again, that's needed to happen for a really long time. But right now is the opportunity to do it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really hoping uh, and and just even visiting with some of um, um, some of your colleagues with other community colleges Everybody wants to move in that direction. They've all indicated in one way or another that they want to move in that direction. So it's just trying to, you guys are going to be the, the pioneers on the mm-hmm. forefront of doing that. So on the, again, on the vision side of it, we end up talking a lot about housing. And mm-hmm. we were trying to put together really just a discussion about housing. And then we were in it for five or 10 minutes. And we're like, this is a yeah. much, much, much more complicated. So as we're looking at what, what's needed for us to do. We want to have those conversations. So is housing um, something that comes up as a barrier for, for community college or for any of those things? How is the housing crisis, I'm going to call it that, mm-hmm. affecting where you're at? Well, um, it is affecting um, economic development, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Um, because we're a commuter college, we are not affected as much other than when we try to hire people to come to work for us from another city or another state and Mm -hmm. they need housing. So um, it's it's not as big of an issue for the college. Um, I will say the homeless uh, student is a bigger issue than than anything. We have a lot of students that don't have homes that that live out of their cars or wherever. We've I've I'd heard that before uh, when we were, I was working on some things with Paul Hendrickson, who you talked about a minute ago, um, with the veteran community. They, it was the couch surfing. Yeah, yeah, we have um, we have a lot of that part so, of that, and that that just breaks your heart. And so that's why, you know, retaining students and getting them across the finish line is so important to me. You, you know, it's like this cannot be the community that I live in that people don't have homes or, you know, are can't afford uh, right. a home. You, you know, so. Um, housing is a big issue. Good quality childcare is an issue. Okay. Food insecurities are an issue, um, and mental health. 
those are the things that I think are the real barriers for um, individuals not pursuing the higher ed because mm. it really comes down to surviving versus thriving. Right. And, you know, they do what they need to do to survive. And, you know, if you have X amount of dollars and it's going to put food on the table or, you know, buy you a class, what You're are gonna, they going to do? Exactly. You know? Although I would, I would argue that there's plenty of financial support for individuals right now to get an education and walk away without any debt. So right. Right now is the time for to do it. individuals to enroll and really take advantage of the um, the Pale, um, all of the scholarships that our foundation offers, the excise tax uh, that has been afforded the community colleges or Pueblo Community College to offer scholarships, and then all of the HERFA dollars that are available right now. Right now is the time. Is for the people. time, and it's. You do as much for non-traditional students as you do for the ones that are coming right out of high school. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. So talk a little bit about those programs. So um, we, have, we have learned over time that it's much more than getting someone to enroll in, in college. You know, we have to be able to provide all of the wraparound services and the support for, quite frankly, all of our students so that they can continue to persist. And we're in the education business. We're not in the mental health business. We're not in the food business or the housing business. So it's really been important for us to form really solid partnerships with those people that are the experts. So um, we have a partnership with uh, Pueblo Community Health Center. Mm -hmm. They run our health clinic, and they provide mental health um, issues. We have a really strong partnership with Karen Share, and they provide food to our Panther um, pantry so that our students have food. And so really what we have tried to do is reach out and make sure that those resources are on campus. It's one thing to say, sure, you need help, go there. It's another thing to say, let me walk you across campus. Yeah. Oh, let yeah. me introduce sure. you to so-and-so. Sure. And so that's the other huge lesson that I've learned. You can have all the programs in the world, but really you need somebody to say, I really care about you. Yeah. And I'm going to walk you over to the pantry or I'm going to introduce you to, you know, the nurse practitioner at the health clinic or, or whatever. You know, whatever. Yeah. So we've got one minute left. So I'm going to ask my favorite question. If there's something that you wish everybody understood for the person that does that you don't work with every day or just parents or anybody who's looking at education, what's the one thing that you wish they understood that maybe they don't? Well, you know where I'm going with this one. <laughs> I wish that every individual in our service area really understood that a good education is going to mean a great life, a safe community, a healthy community, and that we would really grow and we would be having a much different conversation if, if, if that were in place, Absolutely. if we had a highly educated community. Community, I love it. Well, we're out of time. Um, join us next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week, but... Uh, talk Brian, about UFOs again. Oh, I'd love <laughs> to talk about UFOs. We've got so many people that we want to have on our show, but we really appreciate you, Patty, for, for joining Action 22, for being with us today. If you're not currently a member of Action 22, then now's the time to join. Um, get a hold of Brian at show at action22.org, and he will get you all set up. Um, there's really no reason for you not to be if you're um, in any kind of leadership role 
this is where you're going to find a lot of influence and ways to get things done that you haven't thought of before. Join us next week and we'll talk more about what's happening in Southern Colorado and how we're going to move forward in a really great and productive way. We'll see you then. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.